Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. We have been studying now Zechariah um, for about a little over a month, and uh, just after, at the beginning of September, and uh, began looking at it, and we will be continuing it till just before Thanksgiving. Um, and as we have examined Zechariah, we saw in the beginning um, the overview of it as we have studied it, that there are five words, if you would, of Yahweh that he spoke to his prophet, his um, servant, Zechariah. And so we're actually in the middle of the book right now. It's going to take us a little bit more time to come through the fourth and fifth word. Okay, but um, we're dead set middle of the book right now. And it's really kind of fun because it's the third word, too. So there's kind of this symmetry. And you know, as a math guy, I love symmetry. And so there's this symmetry that's it's involved here. But we're going to jump right into this. We've just saw over the last couple of weeks these visions um, that God gave to Zechariah. And as we go into this passage, there are two things, two angles I want us to, to think about as we head into this. And the first angle is the divine perspective of this. And I don't know if you focused on this. I almost told Chuck to have everybody think about this as, as he was reading it. How many times you heard, thus says Yahweh Sabaoth, or the Lord of hosts, okay? Eleven times in the 37 verses that he just read, it states that. In chapter 8, it comes up nine times in 23 verses. What do you think God's trying to communicate? It's his message. Thus says Yahweh Sabaoth. And again, Yahweh Sabaoth, so Yahweh, I am, right? That's his name. So every time you see the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in the Old Testament, that's his name. That's not the word um, Adonai, which is the word for Lord, but rather, because they didn't want to use, misuse God's name, they then didn't put Yahweh in. That was the translation. God said to Abraham, when he, or I'm sorry, Moses, when he saw him at the burning bush, I am that I am. That's his name. And so Yahweh means I am. And so every time you see that, that's his name. So it's Yahweh. Um, Sabaoth is the Hebrew word, which means host, which means what? What's it referring to? An army, okay? It's a host of armies. So he is, he is the I am of the angelic warriors, if you would, okay? That's what he's seen by, and that's the personification at this moment, what is being understood, okay? And so Yahweh Sabaoth says, thus says Yahweh Sabaoth, then 11 times, at least 11 times, because there's some other indicators where God says these things, but specifically that phrase, thus says Yahweh Sabaoth, Okay? But I also, the human perspective of this is, is extremely important for us as well. Because as we come through this, it's important for us to understand, again, how we receive things. Okay, There's context. Someone comes in and says something. We're all going to receive it from the context of what we were doing as they came in. From our background. What may have went on this morning before you left home or whatever. Okay, So, the people who are hearing this message are who? Who are they? The exiles, not the exiles in Babylon. They are the exiles who have returned, who are returning from Babylon and Persia. Okay, Persia, Medo-Persia have 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 taken over Babylon. Babylon fell, right? 
Okay? Medo-Persia takes over. Cyrus is the king of Persia. So I think Daniel is the one who shows him the prophecies from Isaiah and the prophecies from Jeremiah. And Cyrus realizes that God has declared hundreds of years ahead of time that he was the one to, to send the Jews back to rebuild the temple. It's kind of cool stuff. Okay? So Cyrus gives them the freedom to go back. So you have these Jews who are coming back into the land with the purpose of rebuilding the temple. So that's important because as these words are beginning to be spoken, you begin to hear them from a certain way. Does that make sense? But as we get into chapter 8, we realize that these words aren't spoken temporally for right now, but that God is actually looking forward to the ultimate time when he himself is going to come and he's going to dwell on the earth and he's going to reign in Jerusalem. Okay? So when Zechariah begins to speak about what's happening here, you know, from their perspective, they're, you're thinking, yes, yes, yes. But if there's going to be, think about this now, because you've got to understand, because Zechariah, remember, Zechariah, um, we don't know that from the book, but we know that from the words of Jesus, that Zechariah is going to be persecuted. It's kind of weird. I mean, we're reading this book, but it's kind of like Isaiah. Isaiah, um, according to tradition, was stuffed into a log and cut in half. I love you guys. I hope you really love me. That's not really the pay I want. Okay. Anyways, but think about that. This is a, the man of God proclaiming the word of God, and in the end, the people of God stuffed them into a log and cut them in half. That wasn't cloning. Okay. So, so Zechariah, in the end, this guy who's writing this stuff, he's going to be persecuted as well. Okay. So, but you start to analyze what could happen. Because if you have in your mind that you are that group, that you are that generation, but then all of a sudden this guy starts to, to proclaim what? The people are going to be returning from the, the land. And we'll look at this in a little bit when we get to chapter 8. Okay, When the people are going to be returning to the land, and you're thinking what? We already have, which means that they're what? What? They're going to be gone again. Good job, Natasha. Exactly right. There's going to be another time when the nation is going to be dispersed and God's going to bring them back. That even though God's bringing them back at this moment, that God knows they're going to rebel again. They're going to turn against him. So what happened? Think about it. When was the ultimate rebellion of Israel? They reject the Messiah. Jesus came to the earth. King. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. I am here. I'm in your midst. They even asked him, are you the son of God? And he said, you say it. I am. And they said what? Blasphemy. Crucify him. And so they crucified God in the flesh. Amazing. He came amongst them and they rejected him. God handed them over. So for the last 2,000 years or so, they have been gone. And so theology's changed a whole lot from the Christian point of view because they thought Israel was no more. They didn't read God's word. They didn't believe what God said. God said that was going to happen. He was going to bring them back. It's no mystery. God declared it. Paul even declared it in the book of Romans that they would come back. And so all Israel would be saved. And so this is exciting stuff for us because we live in those days where we pray for the return of Christ and we look forward to these things and we see Israel returning to the land and we're going to see the fulfillment as we start looking at chapter 8 where it says they're coming from the east and from the west. Details are important. And we see that playing out. It did, that's not what played out in that day. 
They were coming from the north and the east. They weren't coming from the east and the west. This is fun stuff, okay? And so for us, it's kind of exciting. But if you lived in that day, you'd be thinking to yourself, wait a second. This is more of a condemnation than it is a blessing. Make sense? So I want you to think about that as we go on um, to that, that God is exhorting them past to look past what's going on right now. And so for us to do the same thing. You know, so many times we're so temporal in our, in our looking. We look here. I am very tunnel-visioned. And I've got to continue to look to the eternal that there is something bigger than Bob that's going on. And, and one day it's all going to be playing out. Okay? So we want to begin looking at chapter 7. And I'm, there's a lot here, so I'm moving fast, kind of like the FedEx guy, right? Um, and so the first thing we see, and so, again, I, I kind of feel like every time we come through this, I'm, I'm, I'm pointing out a little bit of a, a, a difference with the translations. Okay? Some of your versions are going to play this out properly. Some of them aren't. Okay? Um, so the city that is named Bethel, can be translated... Anybody have to take a guess? What's Bethel? Gerard? House of, God. house of God. Okay, House of God. So some of your translations make it look like they're going to the house of God, but they're not. Actually, this is a request coming from the men of Bethel. Okay? And so... Um, grab my wrong sheet. So literally, um, verse 2 would say, Now Bethel sent Etzar... Okay, and he's a servant of the ruler of... So, so the, the men of Bethel sent the servant of the guy who was running, the chief of their city, um, Regem Melech, okay, and others to beseech the face of Yahweh to speak to the priests in the house of Yahweh Sebaoth in the prophets to ask, should I weep, should we weep, in the fifth month being devoted as we have done these years? So there is a request that's coming from the people of Bethel, okay? And they want to know, should we continue to fast in the fifth month? Now, the important thing here is to understand, first of all, what the fast is. Because they're talking about the fast of the fifth month. Understand, this is not Yom Kippur, which we just, the the Jews celebrated a week and a half ago, okay? Um, Two and a half weeks ago. Um, This is not Yom Kippur. This is not the fast of the seventh month, which is not the fast of the seventh month that they're going to refer to later on as well, okay? So I want to take very quickly, look at this, okay? And I'm going to read um, from 2 Kings 25. And so if you turn there fast enough, you can read it with me. Um, but 2 Kings 25, I want you to listen because, again, there are details that are, that are here, okay? And this is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, okay? So now it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, that is the reign of Zedekiah, okay? On the tenth, in the tenth month, Okay, so if you go to chapter 8, if you remember when um, Chuck was reading, there's actually going to be four fasts that God talks about, okay, and during this one. So the tenth month, so the ninth year, the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and encamped against it. And they built a siege wall against it all around. So the city was besieged until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah, by the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine had become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then the city wall was broken through, and all the men of war fled at night by way of the gate between the two walls, which was the king's garden, even though the Chaldeans were still encamped all around against the city. And the king went by the way of the plain. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king, and they overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his army was scattered from him. So they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they pronounced judgment on him. Then they killed 
the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. Then they put out the eyes of Zedekiah, bound him with bronze fetters, and took him to Babylon. And in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burnt the house of Yahweh in the king's house, all the houses of Jerusalem, that is, all the houses of the, of the great. He burned them with fire, and all the armies of the Chaldeans, who were with the captains of the guard, broke down the walls of Jerusalem all around. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, carried away captive the rest of the people who remained in the city and the defectors who had deserted to the king of Babylon with the rest of the multitude. I'm going to drop down to verse 22. And he made, so Nebuchadnezzar, made Gedaliah, um, and we're going to be start looking at this um, um, in next week when we go back to Jeremiah in Sunday school. Okay, we're going to talk about this, actually, this section here. And he made Gedaliah, the son of Ahiakim, the son of Shaphan, governor over the people who remained in the land of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had left. Now, when all the captains of the army, they and their men, heard that the king of Babylon had made Gedaliah governor, they came to Gedaliah at Mizpah. Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, Yohanan, the son of Kariah, Sariah, the son of Tanhumeth, and Nedophathite, or Tanhumeth, the Nedophathite, and Jaazaniah, the son of Maachathite, they and their men, and Gedaliah took an oath before them and their men, and said, Do not be afraid of the servants of the Chaldeans. Dwell in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with you. But it happened in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishema, of the royal family, came with ten men and struck and killed Gedaliah, the, the Jews, as well as the Chaldeans who were with him in Mizpah, and all the people, small and great, the captains of the armies, arose and went to Egypt, for they were afraid of the Chaldeans. So, there were four different months of things happening. So, you can see I have up there December 7th, September 11th. What do we know about December 7th and September 11th? What are they? Pearl Harbor, Twin Towers. So, they're days of... Destruction, sadness, remembrance. Okay? Days that we remember. We continually say, we shall not forget. Okay? We need to always remember. Right? And so, this is the, the concept. Okay? So, so the, you got the, um, the 10th month. Okay? Which you think it would come afterwards. But the 10th month was actually in the ninth year. And that's actually the month when... The whole thing started, okay? They started fighting against them, okay? Babylon was coming. And then you had the fourth month, okay, which was actually a year and a half later, when the, the walls were breached. Then Zechariah and his men, they flee, okay? They go out. I mean, the king, he doesn't stick it out with the people. He brings the people down to this destruction. And then before everything happens, he tries to get out from Dodge. But, but Nebuchadnezzar, they capture him. They bring him back. They kill all of his sons in front of his eyes. And they put out his eyes. So the last thing that he saw was his sons being killed. And then they take him in fetters, bronze fetters, back to Babylon. Okay, So all that's then happening in the fifth month. Because right at the end of that, when they do that, then Nebuchadnezzar sends the captain of the guard to destroy the walls and the temple. And if that's not bad enough, there was a remnant that was left, but then in the seventh month, the remnant, what? Deserts the land. They kill the governor, Gedaliah, 
And then, as we're going to see, if you come to Sunday school, you'll see, they go to Jeremiah, and they say to Jeremiah, hey, ask Yahweh, ask God for a word for us, and we'll do whatever he says. And so God comes back and says to them, stay in the land. I'll protect you. Don't worry about it. Stay in the land. And they hear that, and they say, no, no, we don't believe you. That's a lie. We're going to Egypt. And so they go to Egypt. What happens in Egypt? Nebuchadnezzar goes all the way to Egypt and he destroys Egypt. And in destroying Egypt, he also destroys the people who disobeyed God. If they would have stayed in the land, they would have been buffered from that. But they they disobeyed God and they went exactly to the place where Nebuchadnezzar was going to go. There was a a guy years ago um, over in Saudi Arabia had a servant, sent a servant to um, to the market. And while he was at the market, he got jostled. He turned around and he saw death. And death gave him a look, and he got afraid, and he ran back to his master, and he said, Master, he says, I, I, I need to fast this deed. He said, what happened? He says, I was down in the market, and was jostled by death, and she gave me this look of that I know she's after me. And, and so he says, take my fastest steed and fly, fly to the south, get as far away as you can. And so the master got upset, and he went down to the market, and he found death, and he said, what's, what's the problem? Why are you doing, harassing my servant like this? And he says, and death said, she says, I wasn't trying to harass him. It was actually a look of surprise. I have an appointment with him in the south of Arabia tonight. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, things happen, right? So, so, but they're mourning, okay? They have these four times of remembrance. So I want you to think about it. The reason I played this out with the September 11th and December 7th is because we're a lot like these people, and I think we need to take the, to heart what is being stated here, okay? So... He goes on. Now, the implication of the fast, then, this, this fifth fast of the fifth month, should we continue to do this, was that there should be, what? If you're fasting, it should indicate a sorrowful, remorseful, and repentant heart. That if you're fasting before Yahweh, that there should be some idea that some, there is a reason for you to fast. There's something you're seeking. Generally speaking, there's also a humbling yourself before God. That was always incorporated. So the Day of Atonement was a day of fasting, but it was called a day of affliction, afflicting of the soul, that you understood that you were seeking God and seeking for what God needed to work in you. Okay, So as we come into that, that's the request. But what we want to look at is this response from Yahweh, because it's really, really critical, because Yahweh comes back then, and he says, thus says the, thus says the Lord, Okay, the word of the Lord host came to me, verse 4, Say to all the people of the land and to the priest, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh, in other words, so he's, he's breaking it up further, saying, look, I'm not even going to just talk about the fifth month, because I, I know there's even more. And then in chapter 8, we're going to go into four, the four months. Okay, When you fasted in the fifth and seventh months during those 70 years, did you really fast for me? And then he says it again. It's emphatic. For me? I mean, were you really fasting for me? When, the, when you eat and you drink, when you feasted, did you not feast for yourselves? When you consecrated the fast, did you really fast for me? Weren't you really fasting for yourself? Were you really wondering, God, what, what do we need to do to change? How should we repent? What do we need to, 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 to do or was it really that you were just trying to manipulate me to do what you wanted me to do? So, what about us? Why did you come today? Did you come to worship God? 
Did you come to punch a ticket? On a weekly basis. I mean, I, I, I get it. There are times I come because why? I'm the pastor. I tell my wife I don't want to go. The people don't love me. No, anyways, I know you love me. But, the, but there are times when you wake up and you say what? I don't want to do it today. Man, I'm tired, you know. Boy, I wish I was just one of those guys sitting in the pew and I didn't have to go. I don't mean that. But you get what I'm saying, right? I mean, did you ever have that thought process? Okay? And there are times when you go. And so I, one of the reasons we... This is personal confession time, right? One of the reasons there's pers- that personal prayer time in the beginning of the service... It's for me. I hope you guys get a blessing out of that too. But there's a time, I've got to stop and be still. And remember, this is all about God and not about Bob. It doesn't matter if we started five minutes late. It doesn't matter um, if something happened. This is all about God. And I've got to get myself squared away. Because this is all about God. It's not about us. That's why it's there. It's a constant reminder to us that this service, when we get together, it's not about us. We get together and we fellowship, and that's a great thing. The body of Christ is supposed to enjoy one another. But this is called a worship service, not a fellowship service. Does it make sense? And there's a reason we do it. What about our week of prayer and fasting? So we have the fast of the third month and the fast of the ninth month. The week of the, the third month, the week of the ninth month, where we gather together every day, every night of the week for prayer and fasting, right? But I'm continually challenged. That's why I... I, I and I don't mean... I don't mean it that way, pat my back, you know, that that week before that week, I want to be searching my soul going into that week. Why? I don't want that week to be just just tradition. Tradition. Why do we do it? Why do we wear our hats? I don't know. And so, you know, why do we do the week of prayer and fasting? I don't know. They just do it. That's just what the church does. No, there's a reason why we do it. And it ought to be ter- totally set apart unto the Lord. Okay. So, so we can look at Israel, but what about us? So when you come to these other days, so when you celebrated the feasts, did you feast, didn't you feast for yourself? When you eat and you drink. So think about um, 1 Corinthians 10.31. It says, therefore, whether you eat or whether you drink, do all to the glory of God. When you feasted, so he's talking about the feast now. When you feasted, didn't you really feast for yourself? So what about us? What about Easter, Christmas, Thanksgiving's coming up? Do you know why Thanksgiving actually began? It was a time of thanksgiving. Not to yourself for your prosperity. Not to the United States for making you wealthy and all that kind of stuff so you can get fat and gluttonous. But it was a time where the pilgrims gave thanks to God for their very lives and for his very providence in their life. But now it's a day of football. It's a day of family. It's a day of fun. But is it a day of remembrance? For who God is. Easter. Now, I know you never heard, you don't hear me talk about Easter very much. The day of the resurrection, right? Resurrection day. But what about that day? We meet early because we have the sunrise service. Then we have breakfast. Then we have the the, the time of, of testimonies and praise, right? But then we're what? We're done early. Why are we done early? Let's be honest. Go home and eat. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It takes a while because George really feeds us well. But no, George is gone now. We've got to do it ourselves. Anyways, but we eat well during that breakfast time, right? So, but yes, we go home and we eat and we have fun with our families. And that's not evil. That's not wrong. But what day is that? The day that we're celebrating the 
resurrection of Christ. What about Christmas? That's the day that we're celebrating that God came to earth. And yet we give gifts to each other. We might read Luke chapter 2. We'll give God 11 verses. And then let's go. But the rest of the day is all about us. So lest we start looking at the Israelites pointing our fingers, I just want to challenge you. What are you doing with our feast days? What are you doing with things that we say as believers we're setting apart to the Lord? Are we really setting these days apart to the Lord? Okay? I'm as guilty as, as you are. Okay? And so, so I'm, I'm not here to condemn. Just here to challenge. Okay? To exhort. What can we do to, to, to help ourselves? Yahweh's rationale for Israel's chastisement. He had already given them. Um, somebody want to go to Exodus 22 and read verse 21 to 24? Who's going to do it for me? Exodus 22. Not everybody one time. All right, Chuck, thanks. Okay, Exodus 22. God had already told the people what he required of them. Okay, that's, I mean, so all these passages, we're not going to read them all. We'll read that one. I mean, you can go and check all these other ones out. God, this wasn't in a void. He wasn't asking them to do something that he hadn't already explained to them. You got that? Okay, go ahead. Okay, there were two categories in that one, of three, of, of, of people, individuals. What was the first one? Strangers, good. How you treat strangers, aliens, okay, and we're not talking about people from other planets, okay, okay, <laughs> people from other lands, okay, and then the second one was? Good, oh, did it say widow and orphans there? Okay, my bad, okay, yeah, so all three categories are there, the widows and the, the orphans, okay? And so God then comes back to them here in Zechariah 7, and that's what he's beating them up for, okay? And he says in verse 9, it says, Thus says Yahweh Sabaoth, execute true justice, show mercy, said, and compassion everyone to his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. God had already, I mean, over, and you can look at all these passages, and God is very clear about these three categories that he is very tender toward the aliens. So think about that, okay? Now, I'm not saying illegal aliens and all this kind of stuff, and da, 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 but the reality is that, you know, this land was built upon as the what? The melting pot. Every single one of your descendants is a what? A foreigner. I don't, I'm looking around, I don't see any Native Americans here. Make sense? So every single one of your descendants were at some point an alien. Track that, Okay. What did I say? Descendants? Yeah, ancestors. Good, yeah. Well, you never know. So anyways, uh, so your, your ancestors, okay, were, were aliens, okay? The widows. Why, why the widows? Why protect the widows? They can't protect themselves, especially in that economy, okay? It wasn't like their husband died with this thing on Wall Street, and they got millions of dollars, right? And what about the orphans? Again, they are... They're defenseless. And God's, God is the defender of the defenseless. And so he says, look, these three categories I want you to take care of. But they didn't do it. They began to abuse them. Okay, They began to abuse them. They began to have false justice. That's why he goes back to this. True justice things. They weren't showing mercy. They weren't showing compassion. Okay, And God says then, 
they refused to heed. Verse 11, but they refused to heed. They shrugged their shoulders and stopped their ears so that they could not hear. Think about that. I continually, through my prophets, called them to what? To repent, to obey. But they kept saying, ah, you know, maybe later, you know, God's not doing anything to us now. God's not going to judge us. I mean, come on, it's been going on for hundreds of years. Has God done anything yet? And then finally, the prophets start screaming loud enough, and they did what? I can't hear you. I can't hear you. You know, and it's like a bunch of little kids, you know, sticking their fingers in their ear. I can't hear you. But God finally came, and he did what? He brought his wrath upon them. He ignored the nation when they began to cry. When Babylon started to come upon them, and all of a sudden they said, Whoa, whoa, God, look at us. And God said, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. You wanted to serve other gods? You wanted to serve yourself? Do it. See where it takes you. You, you, you accomplish this thing now. Go ahead, do it. And it didn't do anything. God then scattered the nation. He says he takes credit for it. He used Babylon as his tool to bring punishment, to bring chastisement upon Israel. And so he scattered the nation. The exciting thing is, though, that now God comes back in chapter 8, and he begins to promise the exaltation of the same city, that he brought the desolation, that he punished them. He says, this is why it's all happened. This is why it's all happened. However, here's where it's going. Here's what I want you to focus on. Is that because now, though I have done that because of your sin, yet now I am going to restore it. And so we begin then looking at, in chapter 8, where the promise of his presence and the promise of his return. And this goes again, verse 2, where... um, the theme of the whole book, the zeal of Yahweh for Zion. Okay? And so Yahweh says, verse 2, he says, I am zealous for Zion with a great zeal, with great fervor. I am zealous for her. What do you think he's trying to say? He's zealous. For who? He's serious. He's seriously zealous for Zion. Zion is Jerusalem. Okay? He is committed to Jerusalem, even though there are times when it doesn't look like it from our perspective, God says, I am. I have a plan, and it's going to come to pass. I'm allowing people to reap the consequences of their sin, but in the end, my plan will, will occur. Okay? And so what he says then is that he's going to come back. Look what he says in verse 3. Thus says Yahweh, I will return to Zion, and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Okay? So again, we talked a lot about this when we were in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Okay? the very presence of Yahweh on the earth, that Yahweh himself, the great I am, the creator of the heavens and the earth, is going to come and he's going to be on the earth. Okay? Now, we see that from other places. That's Jesus. Okay? And so um, Jesus is going to come. He's going to dwell. And Jesus is going to be God on the earth when he comes. Okay? The effects of his presence. This is kind of fun for me. Look what it says. I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth in the hebrew it's definitive they don't translate the ha here i don't know understand why it's going to be known as the city of the truth the city of the truth which is kind of exciting jesus said i am the way what the truth and the life no man comes to the father but by me god says through through paul to timothy he says that god um, god desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Jesus says, if you are my disciples, you will abide in my word, and you will know the truth, and the truth will 
set you free. God has desired not for just truth, but the truth. That's a very important thing because we live in a world today of relative truth. Well, that may be true for you, but it's not for me. It doesn't matter. God has the truth. And God's truth is truth. It doesn't matter what the world says. The world can say whatever they want to say, but the world's truth continues to change. They have no idea how long the world has been in existence because they, they can't figure it out. It's been 2 billion years. It's been 4 billion years. Some will say it's just millions of years. No, it's been 6,000 years. How do I know that? Because God's word declares it to be. And God's word is truth. It, I don't care what they're going to come out with their datings. Because I know, studying all that information, they throw away the datings, they come back and say that it's only thousands of years. Because it doesn't agree with what they want it to say. Do you get it? And then they dupe the world. Study it out. God's word is true, 100%, all the time. And so when he comes and he dwells in Jerusalem, that city is going to be known as a city, not just of truth, but the city of the truth. The city of the truth. And what's going to be exciting is we see later on, um, the nations are going to be gathered together and they're going to come because they're going to come to the city to find out truth, okay? Which is really, really exciting to me. Okay? The preeminence of the truth, the lifespan of the people. Look what's going to happen. Verse 4. Old men and old women shall sit again in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with his staff in his hand because of his great age. The, cities of the, the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. You know, the world is continually looking for a fountain of youth. But God's words declared it. It's called the fountain of life. And you know what? You can't kill me. How cool is that? I'm going to live forever. I'm going to live forever. You can stop my tent from existing on this earth. I mean, you could pull out the gun and blow me away. And say, oh, I'm going to kill you now. You didn't kill me. You cut off my arms, and you've been over CEF, good news club, you heard it, right? You cut off my arms, you cut off my legs, I'm still me. You cut off my arms, you cut off my leg, you burn me in a, in a fire so I don't even look like this. I'm kind of the, the, the thing from Monty Python, right? You know, I am still me because I live inside of here. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. How cool is that? I have eternal life right now. I'm not looking forward to getting eternal life. I got it. You know what the sad thing is? That everybody on the face of the earth has eternal existence. It's just a matter of where are they going to spend it. The fountain of life is the fountain of youth. And God freely, you can read all these passages. They're all out there. I mean, the, God is re- the word of God is replete with this. In fact, the very end of the revelation, the very end of the book, he's saying, he's imploring people to come and to take freely of the fountain. But people want what they want, and they want their existence the way they want it. They don't want the quote-unquote rules and regulations, quote-unquote, that go with God. That's the way they see it. But on this end of salvation, I don't see them as rules and regulations. I see it as a loving father who says, look, I don't want you to get hurt. But if I want the pleasures of the world more than I want the pleasures of God then I see them as rules and regulations that I want to do. So lifespan of the people. The astonishment of the people. Why? The people are looking at this thing now, and they're thinking, what? Whoa, this is amazing. And you know what's kind of fun here? Is, look what God says. He says, um, I'm losing it now. Oh, verse 6. He says, 
if it is marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of his people in those days, will it also be marvelous in my eyes? And the answer is no. This isn't marvelous in my eyes. This is just a small thing because God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. You know, people are always amazed at what, what God does. And God's like, dude, this is nothing. Do you realize I spoke and everything came to be? I can't believe that. Okay. God said so. Guess what? I believe it. And if God can do that, think about it. I, I, you heard the illustration about the scientist and God. You know, the scientist challenged God, you know, because the scientist could, could create life too. And, 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 and you heard it, you know. And so God says, fine, I'll take the challenge. And so the, the scientist reaches down and he grabs some dirt and said, God said, whoa, 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 whoa. Stop, stop, stop. Go create your own. You get it? Everything we do is from something God already what? Spoke into existence. So we like to think about our own... Pro- forget it. Anyways, i got to keep going. The return of the people. The presence of Yahweh, the return of the people. This is fun stuff. God's making all these promises. Verse 7. I will, behold, I will save my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west. This is that part I was talking about earlier. They're not just going to come from the east. They're going to come from the west. When this is written... There is no land of the West. You get it? This is kind of exciting stuff. They're coming from the islands. They're coming from a place that they haven't got a clue. And yet, prophetically, God declares that they're going to be scattered everywhere. And think about it. Where did most of the Jews come from in 1940s? Did they come from the East? Did they come from Russia, even? Was that where most of them came from? From the North? No. America and Germany. That's exactly right. They came from the West. How cool is that? They, it wasn't that, okay, a few of them came from these hidden places in the West. No, the majority of them came. God knew exactly what he was talking about. This is exciting stuff. We don't read the book of Zechariah, but all this stuff is all exciting. It's all here. Their origination, their position. They shall be my people. I will be their God. I don't know what you think about the nation of Israel, but it doesn't really matter because God says they are his special chosen nation, okay? We are chosen and elect as well as the church and loved by him, but the reality is we still follow who? The Jewish Messiah. Jesus was a Jew, came to the Jewish people. He is Messiah. He is the anointed one who came. And so God is going to work once again through those people, okay? Their plenitude. Tells him, this is exciting, verse 9 down to verse 13. He begins it with, let your hands be strong. He ends it with, let your hands be strong. It's, a, it's an idiom. It basically means, take courage. Take courage. Why? Because look at all these things that are going to happen. There are going to be, you're going to be, you're going to have prosperity. You're going to have peace. You're going to have all these things that are going to go on. So prosperity, there's peace. I don't have it in here. But the ground's going to give her increase. You're going to have just a plenty of this that's going to be coming. Their responsibility, though. He goes back to the same thing that we just read a little bit earlier. I had Chuck read. So he says in verse um, 15, So again, in those days, I am determined to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Do not fear. These are the things you shall do. Speak each man truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor. And do not love a false oath. For all these things... are. For all these are things that I hate. Sum it up. Love your neighbors. Right? What's the greatest commandment? 
to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. But the second is like unto it. The second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because God does. If you really love God, you'll love those that God loves. And God loves everyone. That's why Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who despitefully use you. That's why Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so if you really fulfill the, the greatest command, you will, by, you will naturally want to fulfill the second greatest command. And that's what God's imploring him to. Look, if you're really turning to me, and you will in that day, the regulations, the requirements will be the same. You'll love your neighbor. You'll love your neighbor. Even if they're what? Unlovely. They're jubilation. So this is where he says then about in verse 18 and 19, um, the fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, the fast of the tenth shall be joy and gladness. There's going to be cheerful feasts. They're no longer they're going to be fasts and days of affliction and days of remembrance of when the, the, the city was destroyed. But now they're going to be days of feasting. Why? Why do you think so? Why do the days of fasting become days of feasting? They'll be back, and he'll be reigning. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be great times, great excitement. Again, as I mentioned earlier, when we get to the end of the book of Zechariah, we're going to find out that in the millennial reign, that all the nations are going to be required to come in the days of, like right now, okay, in the days of um, tabernacles, when all the nations are going to come. And it says that if any of the nations don't come, they will be without rain for the next year, the entire year. They'll have, they'll have a drought for a whole year. Okay, and that'll be the that'll be it. But God's putting it out there. God's going to be true, and God's going to say, "All I require of you is to come once a year to celebrate the fact that God is reigning on earth." That's all they got to do. But even in the millennium, there are going to be nations. Think about this. Even in the millennium, there are going to be nations who do what? Who choose not to, and God's going to bring a drought upon that nation. Isn't it? I mean, we think certain ways about things, but it's because we don't read God's word, okay? It's an amazing thing. But God says, all this is going to happen, okay? The, the, the people who are living in Israel, their, fa- their feasts are going to become fasts, okay? And then there's going to be the veneration of the nations, because they're going to come. Verse 20, people shall yet come, inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, come, let us go and pray before Yahweh and seek Yahweh Sabaoth. I will go also myself. Yes, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek Yahweh Sabaoth in Jerusalem and to pray before Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh Sabaoth, verse 23, In those days, ten men from every language of the nations shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man. This is how I know this is future. Note what it says. In those days, ten men from every nation, from every language of the nations, what? Shall. It's future shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. The pilgrimage of the peoples, they're going to go to Jerusalem. Okay, And it's kind of fun if you read the book of Isaiah, where it says, Come, let us go into the house of the Lord, uh, that we may learn his truths. Okay, There's going to be a desire amongst the peoples. They're going to realize that for years they were rejecting the true God. And now all of a sudden they're going to... So, again, we're going to read in Zechariah that they're going to look upon me who they have pierced, and they're going to mourn as one mourns for their only begotten son. They're going to realize for years they've rejected the true Messiah. And people are going to come. 
and they're going to want to worship the Lord, and they're going to want to learn. Okay? Not everyone, because there's going to be people who, who reject. Okay? But as a whole, that's going to be playing out. Okay? But then there's the posture of the peoples. This is, to me, the most amazing thing. Because the nations will, once again, venerate God. And again, as we talked about this in Sunday school, okay? when you venerate God, you venerate those things that he venerates. Okay? God's chosen nation is who? Israel whether you like it or not. But here's the deal. If you love God, then you're good with his plans. Does that make sense? And so therefore, I'm okay with God loving Israel. And so therefore, I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Why? God tells me to. And he's going to dwell there. And all this is going to play out. There are people who hate Israel. They're seeking to destroy Israel. It's still playing out. It has throughout history. And so the, the, the guy in um, Iran is just speaking out. He just wants to destroy Israel. It's not going to happen. But the nations are going to, we know from the Armageddon, right, from the book of Revelation, the nations are going to gather together one more time, aren't they? And Jesus is going to come down, and he's going to do what? Story of the nations. He's going to dwell in Jerusalem for a thousand years. At the end of and Satan's going to be bound. He's going to be cast into the pit. And at the end of the thousand years, what's going to happen? Satan's going to be released from the pit. He's going to go out. He's going to deceive the nations one last time. And even after Jesus has reigned on the earth for a thousand years, the people are going to gather together against him, like they can still kill God. You can't destroy God. You can't act like God doesn't. I mean, you can act like God doesn't exist. But guess what? He still does. So, what is your opinion of the nation of Israel? Is it the same opinion that God has? Do you believe that God will dwell among men in Jerusalem? Do you? I mean, God's word declares it, but do you really believe that? How important is truth, not just generically, but the truth to you? How would you describe your heart of worship? On your days of feasting, your days of fasting, are they really directed toward God? When you came today, did you come to worship God? Or did you come because this is Sunday, you know, and that's what we do on Sunday morning. We, you know, you go to church. That's just what we're supposed to do. We're Americans, right? Are you living unto the Lord? Is there a need to change the way you think? That's called repentance. And then, therefore, change the way you act. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love to us. Thank you for your goodness. Lord, I pray that we would be mindful of your word um, in this point to Israel that you have recorded for us to be able to read and to learn from. Lord, to learn the lessons that you were trying to teach to Israel. And so, God, I just think of my own heart that I know there are so many times, Lord, that I'm thinking administratively. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking other ways and um, just in my, my position and such. Forgive me for that, Lord. I pray that in all times and all things that, Lord, that we would be mindful of you, that we would desire to magnify you with what we say and what we do. And, Lord, that when we gather together in this assembly, Lord, that it would be about you, not about us, not about the property, not about um, anything else, but, Lord, that you would be the focus of our thoughts. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.